And beware the moor in those dark hours when evil is exalted. Else you will surely meet the hound of hell, the hound of the Baskervilles. Listening to the However Improbable Podcast, a Sherlock Holmes book club that narrates and discusses Arthur Conan Doyle's classic tales. I'm Sarah Cole. And I'm Marissa Mercurio. The Hound of the Baskervilles is the closest that Arthur Conan Doyle comes to writing a real supernatural horror story. In his Holmes tales, anyway. And one adaptation stands above the rest by truly committing to that idea. Happy Halloween and welcome to our case file on Hammer Films Hound of the Baskervilles. You can listen to our narration of The Hound of the Baskervilles and our discussion episode about the iconic novella by going back a few episodes. We'll be here. So for those who don't know, Hammer Film Limited, which lots of people just kind of call Hammer Horror, is a British production company that was founded in 1934. They're best known for a series of gothic horror and fantasy films made between the 50s and the 70s, often featuring classic gothic and horror villains and monsters like Dracula, Dr. Frankenstein, and The Mummy. Hammer Horror made them iconic by reintroducing them to audiences in color. Hammer has in many ways become synonymous with horror films because of the huge impact their movies had on the genre. Today, we're going to feature the only home story that they thought worthy of this particular treatment, The Hound of the Baskervilles. While not strictly considered a Hammer Horror, the studio's take on the classic mystery about murderous dogs and dark family secrets has atmosphere to spare. For clarity... What's disappointing about this film is that um, I think they thought it was going to be a commercial success and it wasn't. And they were thinking about making more Hammer Studios was thinking about making more Holmes films. Mm -hmm. And because this one was not successful, they didn't do that. And I I kind of wonder what other stories they would have tackled if they'd had the opportunity. I would have loved to see more. I mean, I know, of course, that Peter Cushing, when we get into Peter Cushing's portrayal of Holmes shortly, but of course, Peter Cushing has portrayed Holmes multiple times, just not so much in a hammer horror film. And I don't know about you, I really enjoyed this. I'm excited to get into some of the weirdness of it and oh the things my God. that I wasn't sure why they changed or the effects that it makes, the implications of it being changed, but I, overall, perfect atmosphere. You know, I just wanted to live in the movie. So campy, so lurid, so gothic, so horror So gothic. The, like, big Wonderful. yellow text as it, things are being introduced. Beautiful. The, I mean, the trailer just is just gorgeous. like the horror of the moors. There's my dog. It's really are, gorgeous. Uh, demonstrating what the house <laughs> <Yes>. is. <basketball laughs> sounds like. Perfect. Sound effects. Have you seen Hammer Horror movies? Are you a Hammer Horror fan? I am, yeah. And in, in the way that I went through a phase when I was a college student where we watched a lot of really good old horror movies and really bad old horror movies like the like the Gila monster from Mars and mm-hmm. Sharknado and that kind of ridiculous stuff and so I think we watched a lot of the classics of the hammer horror canon for lack of a better word in that sort of time period contrasted with really really ridiculous things <laughs> like Troll 2 and stuff like that of course um, so that's in my mind kind of what they're lumped in with you think they're not really made to be stupid horror films like I do think they're made with a lot of love and they're genuinely really great Mm -hmm. knowing they always have this sort of like kind of over the top in your face 
tone and atmosphere yes. to them, but I mm-hmm. find it really delightful. I agree. I think they're always, broadly speaking, very visually stunning. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I can never complain about a Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee duo. I also really like Horror of Dracula, which is, of course, kind of one of the big ones. But my favorite, probably, is Horror Express, which Ooh. is a very, like, goofy, psychedelic monster movie set on a train it's really great i highly recommend it i also really love dr jekyll and sister hyde Mm -hmm. that's a favorite mentioned that one before big fan of hammer horror movies big fan of christopher lee and peter cushing yeah what a cast in this movie so very exciting for all this to come together yeah so let's do a little overview of just of the production history of this movie and how it was reviewed and that sort of thing um it was made in 1959 and directed by a guy named Terrence Fisher, who is best known for his Hammer Horror films. He directed a lot of the really iconic ones like Dracula and The Curse of Frankenstein and The Curse of the Werewolf. Mm. Um, great film titles here. I kind of wish they had gone with The Curse of the Baskervilles or something for this. But, you know, you can't really change the name of The Hound of the Baskervilles. No. <laughs> um, as far as I can tell, where you know, he's probably one of those directors where I, I read his name and I was like, I don't know who that is. And then I started reading more about him and I'm like, no, I've seen tons of his movies. And his films were largely dismissed during his career while he was working, but they have this sort of cult status now. And I've used this word already, but multiple times his style was described with the word lurid, which is just a really great word. And I think summarizes what they're going for. I would love to watch more lurid movies. Yeah, I think movies should be more lurid in general. (laughs) It's something we could bring back. This movie stars Peter Cushing as Holmes, an actor named Andre Morel as Watson, and Christopher mm-hmm. Lee as Sir Henry Baskerville. Um, and it was the first film adaptation of this story to be filmed in color. Highly That's notable. An interesting Really fact. good job with the color. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Wow. What a movie to be the first in color. I know. As I said, this was not a particular commercial success when it was released, which quashed any future Hammer Holmes adaptations. And I that really kind of makes me sad because I think they mm-hmm. could have done a really, really wacky Sussex vampire story or something. Or just like amped up the oh can you imagine uh, like the speckled band of yeah or the novellas just like amping up the weirdness of them because honestly part of the appeal of this adaptation i think is that it never drags Mm, and there's mm -hmm, always something mm -hmm. to look at there's always something to be engaged with because i think a lot of uh adaptations of the hound of the baskerville struggle when Holmes is absent, yeah, which they don't know what to do is, with the I think, section. done so well in the novella, but is hard when the actor who is playing Holmes is just gone from the movie. But I right. think this adaptation does a phenomenal job of keeping people engaged. So some of the reviews I just pulled to, which I think sort of summarize people's opinions on this film. Uh, Times Out London called it the best Sherlock Holmes film ever made and one of Hammer's finest movies. Mm-hmm. And... A review in something called The Monthly Film Bulletin said, quote, any freshly entertaining possibilities in this much filmed story have here been listed in a welter of blood, love interest, and mood music. Blood. Where I'm like, no, that sounds exactly what I want to be That's happening. That's what I want. In exactly. My adaptations, actually. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, uh, goodness. So, where do we want to start? You want to talk about Peter yeah, Cushing? start with Peter Cushing, my man Peter Cushing. I really love Peter Cushing. Yeah. 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 Big fan of his. He, I think, is a really interesting Holmes. I think what he captures very well is Holmes's 
politeness Mm -hmm. and his grace and his intelligence. Yeah. He, one review called him, and I really love this, um, impish, waspish, and wildian. Ooh. Which, and we've talked about the Holmes and Oscar Wilde sort of comparisons, and we were talking about the sign of four, and I I kind of see that. I do think he's very, like, particular. He's a little austere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, but He looks so elegant and good, Mm -hmm. and those cheekbones and how he looks in the outfits. Like, he's just stunning visually. In the moment where Watson kind of finds him on the moor, and it's all foggy, and he's, like, uh, looming on these rocks above... The I think he looks that like is Dracula. Perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the shot of him on the moors when Watson is looking out. Mm-hmm. That very famous oh, scene so in the novella. Good. It's perfect. It's perfect. I think overall he's a he's a really solid Holmes. Um, I think he's maybe missing a little bit of the mastery, not so much of his intelligence, intelligence, but of um, his personality. You know, he, he doesn't seem to, like, command too strongly. Um, perhaps that is partially due to Peter Cushing being a fairly slight man. You know, he's he's a little bit small. Impish. Um, impish. <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and there's something missing of the, like, he's almost too buttoned up in a way for me but I do really enjoy him and I would love to watch more Peter Cushing as Holmes. I know yeah it's not something I've honestly watched a ton of I was you know kind of reading about Cushing's relationship with Holmes and he is a self-described Holmes affectionado and really loved Mm -hmm. the stories and these this movie was made after the Rathbone and Bruce Holmes TV show really took off and I think they were kind of like the popular interpretations of those characters Um, and so I think he was trying to connect his Holmes back to the literary counterpart is why I'm wondering if that's why his portrayal here is a little more understated and reserved less, and less uh, bossy like, or yeah I was gonna say right less like <laughs> masculine World War Two yeah exactly approach. Um, <laughs> what you just said was really accurate like a sort of gentleness he's a gentleman right he's a very gentlemanly Holmes which I think does make sense if yeah. Cushing was trying to go back to the, the text because Holmes is very much a gentleman and I think that is what we've talked about before so much missing from more modern adaptations it is that uh, desire to be polite and gentlemanly to others around him until it's inconvenient and I do think this Holmes he has some moments where he has some threads of, I think what sort of became popularized in modern adaptations of that social unawareness of how people are supposed to behave or not really caring about what's polite. Um, So that does come out in some moments, but it's kind of in the background. Should we talk about Watson? Yeah. Of the three main actors, Andre Morel, and I hope I'm saying his name right, is the one that I have never seen in anything or ever heard his name before. Me too. And when you're stacked up against like the two (laughs) kings of hammer horror. Peter Cushing. Wow. It's a little bit easy to get lost, but I really liked this version of Watson. I don't know what you thought about him. I think he's very understated, but I I was I, I was drawn to his performance. I agree. I think understated is the right word for it. I was delighted to see that he wasn't a bumbling, goofy no. Watson. He was very doctorly, very yeah. head on his shoulders the whole time. Um clearly has affection for Holmes. I was sort of missing the uh, the Soviet Holmes reunion, you know, because that's so, it's just so heartwarming. 
but I really enjoyed Watson. I don't have a lot to say about him, but I think he really held the characters together. He held the narrative together. He was never boring to watch. Um, and I, I think he did a good job of just keeping everything tethered. Like you mentioned, I think it could be easy for adaptations to have a very soft middle if you have mm-hmm. an actor playing Watson who can't keep things moving. Because, you know, if you have the big personality playing Holmes and then Holmes is just not in the story for a huge bulk mm-hmm. of the story, that could be trouble. But he was very he's very grounded, the performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was praised for that, for not feeling kind of cartoony. The lack of a soft middle in this adaptation, however, also has a lot to do with our pal, Sir Christopher oh, Lee. Oh, Sir Christopher Lee. Who is just, uh, oh, the best. The best. So, honestly, really so young. the movie for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's so young. He, it's refreshing to watch him, I think, in a role where he is playing a, essentially a victim. Yeah. He is so often playing, you know, he's famous for playing Dracula. He's play, famous for playing these very masterful roles mm-hmm. um we've Saruman. talked about christopher lee as yes saruman of course mycroft, <laughs> mycroft as i say we we've talked about uh christopher lee as mycroft before where he's also essentially playing a antagonist uh and this was fun to see him at the center of the spider's web with very little power to do anything about it yeah sir henry is kind of the damsel in distress character Mm-hmm. In, in Watson is in his own way, but yeah, I like that. Um, this Some blog I was reading when I was kind of skimming for this, this had this line, and I'll have to link the blog so I can credit it properly, but it, it's <laughs> this gives Lee the rare opportunity to kiss the girl rather than bite her neck, <laughs> which I thought was very funny mm-hmm. <laughs> because, of course, he is in this time period also playing Dracula like seven times in Hammer Horror movies. I think he's wonderful. I, I agree. It's really nice to see him be sort of the hero. Yes. And be the good guy and be a little more humanized than a lot of the roles that he's really famous mm-hmm. for. And I do think that in a lot of adaptations of Baskerville's, part of the reason that it lags is because I'm not terribly captivated by Sir Henry, but Christopher Lee really does the job. He's really great at having a commanding personality while also clearly not having any idea of what's going on, clearly getting the wool pulled over his head constantly. And it's just delightful to watch. He's he's so engaging. Just a face you want to look at. Well, yeah. And, and he a looks voice great. you want to listen to. He's very well costumed. He sounds mm-hmm. great. And Sir Henry's such a great character, and I often feel people kind of miss... Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting about him, where they want him to just be a coward, and they want him to just be a romantic hero, or they even want him to kind of, like, you think maybe he's a, a villain or in it somehow. I've seen that sometimes. And it's like a little bit of all of those things, and I think, like, there's that balance. I mean, it's really up to him and Watson to hold the center in Baskerville, and oftentimes yeah. that falls apart. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the heart of the story. And when it works, mm-hmm. it works. And I think it works here. Definitely works here. So we should probably talk about the things that change in this adaptation because they are quite striking. Really weird, yeah. They make really some interesting, interesting choices. Editorial decisions. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know why. But I think the big thing we really need to talk about is the Stapletons. It's bizarre. Very interesting changes. First yeah. of all, okay, the, the formulation, rather than being a man who is secretly an illegitimate Baskerville, although mm-hmm. he still is in mm-hmm. this story, 
he's an older man, and he has not a, a, a wife pretending to be his sister, but rather an actual daughter. So we've made some familial changes here. Yeah, so and that it's, like, more bloodlines, too. It's more about the bloodlines. Her Instead of Beryl Stapleton, her name is Cecile. Mm-hmm. And Cecile is a Baskerville, by the way, of her illegitimate father. Which makes all of the romance between her and Christopher Lee, because there is a lot of kissing in this movie. More than you might expect. It's not just little pecks. It's, like, <laughs> it's, it's saucy kissing. You know, mm-hmm. it's out on the moors kissing (laughs) it takes the sort of like implicit uh sort of sideline incest into actuality in the movie yeah it sure does (laughs) it sure does this is so interesting to think about because in the book we were sort of on the same page of like i wish beryl and sir henry had gotten together Mm -hmm. and kind of figured it out and had a happy ending but here i mean she she dies at the end of the story she is like in on the evil plot and she dies and they're related so it's a very interesting change because the the change from the narrative is that she is also out for revenge for her ancestor who was rooted in the original hound of the baskerville curse Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as the woman who fled the original baskerville and was killed on the moors yeah and so she is trying to seduce Christopher Lee to prove that he's seducible and therefore he should feel bad about that and be killed. <laughs> the logic here is a little questionable. <laughs> it is. Well, and also they changed it so that Sir Henry's uncle, right, mm-hmm. who is killed at the very beginning, which is why this whole story begins, also tried to... I don't know, seduce her, assault her, not totally clear. Yeah. And that's why he died? Or something like that. Don't know if it was that she was trying to lure him to this location and have him killed. Either way, it really changes the structure and the implications and the, like, thematic resonances of what is happening in this story. It's really much more about gender and sexual assault mm-hmm. or implied sexual assault kind of a weird movie in the they film sort of the scene where the ancestor is hugo baskerville right the evil yes family ancestor who brings the curse upon them that they film that whole scene where he like assaults and murders this woman and it's part of the film where it's just like told in the story in the book that was a little bit of a surprise to me for some reason i don't know yeah it's an interesting choice for sure and of course, she gets her comeuppance. She's killed. Her father is killed, right? Yes. She, Cecile sinks into the mire the way that Stapleton dies in the book. Stapleton, the farmer dad, is not an by entomologist. The and the, an entomologist is a bishop who's just sort of there. There's just this bishop who's there. I don't know. <laughs> For some reason, they did. He's got they just like, invented another character. Yeah, yeah, and so that's like sort of that old lawyer guy character combined with Stapleton. There's also like this earlier plot where I think Stapleton steals a tarantula from this bishop and tries to use it to kill Sir Henry. I do really. I enjoyed that part. It was really goofy, but I was like, one, I don't think tarantulas are poison enough to kill people. I don't think so. <laughs> Two. 
this is just, it was so delightfully, like, hammer horror. Like, the music just swells, and you're like, oh, this is terrifying. And it's just, like, Christopher Lee, like, sweating with, with a tarantula on his shoulder. spider on him, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And apparently he is actually afraid of spiders, and that's why he was, like, his his reaction is, is real. It, it's just a lot of little strange occurrences. I do, I think part of it is, like, them trying to fit it into the hammer horror mold and yeah. add these moments of terror even though they were a little bit strange. I mean, I loved it. This is not a criticism. I thought they were great. But they are clearly trying to ramp up the terror in ways mm-hmm. that they're absent from mm-hmm. the actual novella. And of course, the hound. <laughs> I actually think this is maybe the worst part of the movie, is the reveal of what the hound yeah. looks like. It's a Great Dane with like a mask on its head. Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Peter Cushing like rips the mask away, <laughs> and then it's just a dog. And it's uh, just a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's... I think it misses uh, until that point. The atmosphere and the terror is really good, and that mm-hmm. doesn't quite work. I think the hound is always kind of hard to do <laughs> in it, film, anyway. Difficult, and I wonder if part of it is the lack of ability to get a dog big enough that also is phosphorus, phosphorescent. <laughs> you know. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they could have just made some glowing eyes, but I don't. It could have been know. a little bit less literal. I it guess. was kind of just a dog. But he, I mean, it, it mauls stable Massive dog, several gruesome deaths, mm-hmm. lots of kissing, lots of incestuous kissing, mm-hmm. lots mm-hmm. of fog. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Like, it's interesting because the overall structure of like the plot stays largely the same, but right. Little I tweaks. agree that it seems like they wanted to to make some of what's really behind the scenes in the story come more directly to the front, but at the lack of, I think, this more interesting story about bloodlines and family and, like, being haunted by your own family decisions, mm-hmm. and, and that gets lost a little bit, which is my favorite part of, of the novel, really, other than right. Watson pining at the window and writing letters. So, Sarah, is this a good adaptation when we talk about adaptations, we talk about are they good on their own? Mm-hmm. And are they a good Holmes adaptation? Yeah. Like, are they doing something interesting to make it a worthwhile Holmes adaptation? I'm going to say yes to both of these questions. I think it's, you know, it's a period film, but I think it's tremendously made. It's very fun to watch. It has some great performances. It has Christopher Lee in that outfit. And I also think it is doing some interesting interplay with the sort of underlying genre of the type of story that Hound is, and it's turning it really into a a horror Mm -hmm. in a way that I really love and think more people should do with home stories, is sort of see where they're flirting specifically with this dread and this Dive into the generic, like, like, dive into the, the, the generic atmosphere. Like, what genre is it hitting? Yeah. You know, and really... When it's horror, really pull that out. And I just like seeing the story that is so familiar and is adapted so many times and so many people know and I've seen in so many different formats over and over. I like seeing it sort of superimposed over the genre of these like Mm -hmm. really campy classic horror movies. (laughs) I think it's just a really interesting way to view this story. And like I said, it really made me ruminate about like what other home stories could have this treatment and what that would look like and how terrifying like the copper beaches would be oh my goodness <laughs> done in this this sort of tone um, terrifying 
terrifying. So which we're doing next. So yeah, that's the next. The story terror the continues so after Halloween. It's really, really horrific in a very different way. But it's also just unsettling and discomforting. I just feel really terrible for that. Very poem. creepy. Yes, hmm. so I, I think that this is yeah, a what really successful. <laughs> I think this is a really successful Sherlock Holmes movie. I think that you don't need to be at all familiar with Sherlock Holmes to mm-hmm. enjoy it. I think you can be vaguely familiar with Sherlock Holmes to enjoy it. You don't have to have read the novel. I think that it is just a feast for the senses. <laughs> it is just beautiful to look at. It's mm-hmm. delightful to hear all the set designs and the costumes which and the lighting which are the things that i'm usually paying attention to when i watch a movie it's just like ah, salivating it's beautiful Mm -hmm. it's just gorgeous to look at and baker street set design is really beautiful really good everything is so good it's it's just gorgeous it really leans into the gothic sensibilities which i really love and of course it is headed by such a successful trio of actors yeah. at its forefront. And even the minor characters, I think Cecile is really captivating. She's always someone you want to be looking at when the when mm-hmm. the camera is on mm-hmm. her. Stapleton was interesting, not as fun as he is in the novella. Because I, I love the sort of like villainous entomologist vibe he's got going on. But I think that Cecile really takes the foreground of the villains in this adaptation and i think she is really interesting to watch i think it is probably the best adaptation of hound of the baskervilles that i've seen there are aspects i really like of other adaptations of course i think jeremy brett is the premier sherlock holmes and i think that you know the soviet holmes adaptation of hound of the baskervilles is also very charming in certain aspects of it um, particularly along the lines of Holmes and Watson's relationship and Watson's portrayal, as we have talked extensively about in the Soviet Holmes ad- or in our Soviet Holmes episode, but I think this adaptation is broadly speaking just the right tone, and it brings everything together. It's very quickly paced; you never get bored. It opens really successfully i think as well too we didn't talk about the opening but it is essentially showing you hugo's curse and how it's enacted and what happened and i think that was a really good way of bringing in the audience rather than explaining what happened you know to actually like see it happen and see all the drama there i thought that was very captivating so i loved it i thought it was great I, I will say, and I think this is just the interpretations of these versions of Holmes and Watson, that because this is what I like, I do miss a little bit of the affection between the two characters. That's something that, it like, like both of their performances, I think is very understated in this adaptation, where I don't doubt that it's there, but it's not something they're expressing. These two versions, are they're very gentlemanly, and they're not going to do that where anyone is watching. <laughs> um, <laughs> the not closest gonna talk you about their friendship, you know, is in, when, in the public eye. Is when they think Holmes has been killed in that mine, which oh, that's weird detour. Yeah. But Watson's <laughs> and very relieved to see that Holmes is still alive. Yeah, that's true. It's not non-existent, but it's, it's not a focus. So I think this is a really good watch for Halloween. It's especially if you get scared easy and don't 
really enjoy horror movies per se. I think this is the right tone of spooky, but not actually scary. Basically, when I'm thinking about what I want people to do with Hound of the Baskervilles, it's this. This is it. Like, I want I agree. it to be a little over the top and just so moody because that's yes. what the story is. And I think it if you're not leaning so into moody. that, then you're missing it. Good adaptation. Very yeah. solid. I One mean, of my Dracula on Dracula. Dracula on Dracula. <laughs> and also Andre Morel's there. <laughs> next time, our next episode will be the narration of the adventure of the Copper Beaches, which, as mentioned, is very horrifying in a very different way than the story is horrifying. You can contact us on Twitter at ImprobablePod and find more information about the show as well as recommendations for further reading on our website, HoweverImprobablePodcast.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review. However Improbable is created by Marissa McKiro and Sarah Kolb, with apologies to Arthur Conan Doyle. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, dear listeners, believe us to be very sincerely yours. Be Halloween! Happy Halloween!